Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Here we will delicately and tactfully walk through each psychological issue. Psych! This podcast is meant for entertainment purposes only. This is not intended as individual, psychological, or medical advice. Please proceed at your own risk and always defer to your individual medical or mental health care team. Basically, don't make it weird, guys. Right. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shit Your Shrink Thanks. Don't leave me. Da, 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 da. I always say how I don't need you, but it's always gonna come right back to this. Please, Please don't leave me. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're throwing down a little pink today for our episode because this is might be the actual, it's a written diagnostic form of borderline personality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're, we're talking about borderline personality disorder today, too. And uh, yeah, that song is just absolutely it's on point. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect it's... for the content today. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So as y'all right, might remember, just keeping it real, we do have a Patreon, yes. a Gmail, an Instagram, a Twitter. Remember, our Patreon is www.patreon.com forward slash shityourshrinkthinks. And the Gmail is shityourshrinkthinks at gmail.com. And you can follow us by the same not name on basically any of our social media sites. Right. So that's exciting stuff. Reach out to us. Send us some some ideas if you have some. Yeah, we've definitely, we're, we're getting a couple. So thank you guys for that. We really do appreciate it and we are responding and listening so thank you yeah so as you guys might also remember we are still learning about each other here on the podcast and some sometimes we like to share some stories that maybe the co-host might not know about us or just share a general what's good so sunny what's your what's good okay my what's good this week is that i don't know if you knew this about me but i have taken a cheerleading class <laughs> yeah <laughs> i that yeah. i'm surprised yes i do not <laughs> see the cheerleading type with you what yeah <laughs> i'm you know that goth honestly. the goth in you with the cheerleader it's a beautiful mixture uh, <laughs> tell me more well uh this this was a i don't know what happened in my brain but i remember there was something in fifth or sixth grade and it was just like hey here's this cheerleading course i don't know class outside of curricular extracurricular activity and you can join it and i don't really think i wanted to cheerlead but i think i was bored and i was like okay i'll try it that's fine there's some cool acrobatics i mean yeah well i was like i'm gonna learn those (laughs) did i learn those (laughs) no what i was what i was interested in is doing sweet flips and shit and i didn't do any sweet flips Uh, i basically just learned how to there's a way that you apparently in cheerleading clap your hands and oh. keep your arms really straight. Like oh. I'm trying to demonstrate, you have to keep your arms really straight and you have to keep your hands a certain way so they make noise a certain way and how to like choreograph your motions. And I mean, this is like it was like 101, so yeah. I didn't learn any sweet flips. But I was, <laughs> I was like thinking they were going to teach you how to do backflips and bends the first, right. the like first hold day. you by your foot type of shit. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, let's do some of that. And I have no real idea why I thought I would be able to do that because I was also a very, very overweight fifth grader. <laughs> so it was like, 
What am I going to do here? Like, nobody's going to fly you're, me. You're dreaming of the one being thrown in the air, but they would have made you the base. <laughs> it definitely would have been the bottom <laughs> of the pyramid. But I thought uh, I was... I was always I was, the bottom, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've got those, like, strong Midwestern lady legs. <laughs> <laughs> We're not built for flying. We're no. built for support. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so I was a cheerleader with for, like, a six-month period of time. And then I promptly realized I had no talent or skill at it. And the people who were very good stayed. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to. I was going to try something else. Yeah, I'm going to stick to what I'm good at, which is anime class. <laughs> fun. Hey, that was probably more fun. It was actually real dope. I can draw mean Sailor That's Moon. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And Dragon Ball Z characters. Anyway, what's good? <laughs> what's good with you this week? Well, in the Midwest, it is currently springtime. What's up? Which is thunderstorm season. Yeah. And I just love me some severe weather. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about Midwestern girls. Yeah. I don't, they're just really fun. Like, they're not fun to drive through, but yeah. they're really fun to sit and observe and watch the storm roll in and, like, mm-hmm. just the power mm-hmm. with the lightning and, yeah. you know, I mean, and we the were the ones like, rolls. yeah. You know, even when there was a tornado, we were like the family sometimes that would, like, look outside, you know, like, let's go, let's go stand on the deck and see where it's at. <laughs> Yeah, that is another Midwestern trait. You're just like, oh, it's a tornado coming. Well, if we keep our eye on it, (laughs) it's not going to hit us if we can see it clearly. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no. I mean, they are dangerous. Like, take cover if you need to. But I love me. I love some thunderstorms. So I'm just really enjoying the rain and... Yeah, the thunder and lightning. Yeah, I like that a lot. We, (laughs) uh, my partner and I and a roommate were living in a uh, a place in let's say the plains of the midwest a couple years ago and we had had some severe weather and i i was starting to get the vibe <laughs> so i used to at one point in time i lived in a trailer park and i like to say that that's why i can like know when tornadoes are coming because like it's my like trailer park bones letting me know like, like oh <laughs> shit shit's about to get real <laughs> my shit's gonna get sucked up i gotta get out of here and so uh we were sitting on the patio of our apartment and i'm looking at these clouds thinking yeah that's that is going to be a tornado that's a tornado and so i get really alarmed because it's close yeah and i was telling my partner and roommate hey guys we gotta go this is because our apartment complex didn't have any real like underground basement Mm, stuff it was just these loose standing garages and i was like yeah no i'm not going in one of those for a tornado thank you so they're all they're looking at me like I'm crazy. They're pretending I'm panicking and that I'm acting ridiculous. <laughs> and I was like, get in the car. It's a tornado. So they all begrudgingly get in the car after they're like going to the bathroom and like <laughs> taking their time. The house. So we get in the car and they basically did not believe a tornado was coming. And surprise, surprise, we hear on the radio. Yeah, there was a tornado touched down like five minutes from your house. I was like, yes, dudes. I know. I have a sixth sense. Because my because my, my trailer park bones. Spidey, Spidey senses were strong that day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, okay. Well, what did you try for outside of the podcast experiments? How'd it go? We were looking at personality disorder traits and mm-hmm. trying to see which ones we maybe kind of have a little bit of. Yeah, yeah. And the one that I had the most of was definitely the obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Really? Yes. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> the Monica in me is strong. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> the perfectionism that sometimes interferes, preoccupied with details or organization lists, mm-hmm. being excessively devoted to productivity mm-hmm. that sometimes you don't do your leisure stuff, mm-hmm. being reluctant to delegate tasks. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, and then the rigidness and stubborn. <laughs> now, I will say with those ones, I've really like worked a lot on myself to be a little less of all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've been making progress in those realms. Yeah. But those those were definitely the ones that I had the most of. I had a little bit of schizotypal um, with some odd beliefs and thinking and stuff. I had a little bit of antisocial with some, you know, failure to conform to social norms. Now, technically, I'm pretty law abiding, but there's, you know, there's some gray areas. Yeah. I had a little bit of borderline impulsivity, mostly with the spending sometimes. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and a little bit of histrionic with some excessive concern for physical appearance. <laughs> Um, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> sure. Why not? Sprinkle it around. Right. You know, yeah. that perfectionism likes to sprinkle in in different areas. Yes. But so those were the ones that I found my traits in, I guess. But nothing yeah. obviously severe enough to make any kind of criteria. But right. it was enlightening to look at. That's exactly kind of what we're trying to point out is that everybody has these traits on some level. And also, I always say, not a disorder if it doesn't bother you or other people. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, no no big deal. It's something that is normal for each and every one of us to have just a little something that's – it's flavorful. Right. It's a flavorful personality characteristic, but it doesn't meet full criteria, and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. How about you? Because yeah. did you do similar, right? Yeah, I did. I did a similar thing. I basically just, I hover in uh, a lot. It's it's very similar to you. It's mostly just perfectionism related. So, mm-hmm. well, and anti-authority. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel you there. So I've noticed every single one of my more quote unquote personality disorder traits are either I I do not like to be told what to do, how to do it. So I tend to Buck authority, I have a real um, disposition not to listen to or trust. So a little bit of like paranoid. paranoid. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like I do not trust uh, just anything. <laughs> Pretty much anything. <laughs> you got to like prove yourself 12 times. Yeah. yeah. I, I have to verify all data. I, I always, my motto is trust but verify in the sense that I'll take what people say as like the grain of truth that they understand it to be, but I will always check. There's never a time where I will just believe something that somebody says. It's just impossible for me. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I do know what that's about. I'm not going to talk about what that's this, about. Yeah. <laughs> that's a little too deep for everyone in the world to know. <laughs> yeah. So definitely Fair. had some paranoid flavors, definitely had some antisocial flavors of you know rejecting authority and rejecting typical rules. I also do believe... I, this one's going to sound butthole-ish, and I hope it – I don't want it to come off too bad. But in high school, I remember that if I, – I thought that if I got – if I was getting all A's, like, certain rules just didn't apply to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't have to eat lunch in the cafeteria. I'm going to just go to wherever I want to eat lunch because I'm a good kid and a good student. I do fine. So I'm going to do whatever I want. And I would get real PO'd when I did not have that privilege. Like I would get annoyed when somebody would try to stop me from doing that. And then I would get real rejecting and fighty and be like, no, I'm going to go do this. And so that kind of there's like some narcissism, antisocial stuff in there of like, well, I'm achieving all this. Like, shouldn't I get some sort of like special special privilege? Yeah. Yeah. Which is I have dimmed that quite a bit now. And now. 
now know I am not special. <laughs> <laughs> but it was there. Maybe that's just a teenager thing. I'm not sure. I was going to say, yeah, that might be a little teenager yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I definitely have some of the borderline stuff of I, I'm one of those people where I'm very interested. If I've let you into my closest social circle, I'm very interested in it. But if you mess up, it's like over. You're dead. Yeah. Like, I just, I'm just <laughs> like, that's it. Dead to me. Dead to me forever. And I tend to do it really quickly. It's more impulsive than I would like. So I'm, I was going to say I was motivated to work on that, but I'm not. I actually don't care that I do that. <laughs> I'm not motivated. I'm not motivated not at to this work moment. on it. No, it actually works out perfectly fine for me because for me personally, the accuracy, the hit rate on it is pretty high. So I, enough. if you got a low hit rate on it and you make a lot of mistakes with that, fine. I don't. I'm not interested in yeah. undoing Whereas it. Whereas I'm like, you've burned me 12 times, but I'll come right back and assist. <laughs> assist, assist. No, I'm like, what was that weird thing you did? I'm out. <laughs> Which is <laughs> the smell's strange. I'm gone. Yeah, I'm like a like a a deer in the forest, like a tiny little creature. I'm a little like twitchy, sni- <laughs> sniffing things, you know. And I hear something, and I'm just out. I'm out of there. <laughs> so yeah, so a little bit of everything, honestly. A little paranoia, a little narcissism, a little borderline, a little antisocial, and definitely had some schizotypical, like the oh my god, belief. I said schizotypical, <laughs> a schizotypical belief systems where it was just like. I'm going to wear whatever, all these crazy clothes, and let's talk about aliens and that oh, sort of yeah. stuff. So I'm definitely there in that level, too. Yeah. So I think we had some similar ones, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think it's just, it's good to normalize a little bit that just because you maybe, when we do go through these different diagnoses, you're like, oh, shit. I, I have, have all that. the, you know. Like, if you have one or, like, that does not mean you meet criteria. That does not mean that you're this Mm-mm. thing don't label yourself. This is just information yeah, to we're help just you better know yourself. Yeah. It's it's exploratory. Yeah. Not categorical. Yes. So this week we're going to be continuing our discussion on personality disorders. Uh, last time we kind of skipped over one in particular. So we're going to deep dive into borderline personality disorder and its mm-hmm. treatment. But first, we're going to talk about the stats on this diagnosis. How common is it? Is it more nature or nurture related? Just kind of what we know so far. So according to the DSM, the prevalence of borderline personality disorder in the general population is estimated to be 1.6%, but it could be as high as 5.9%. That's literally a quote. Like, that's such a big, vast... <laughs> I know. Like, so it's this, but it technically it's probably this. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's hard to... This is, this is the thing with personality disorders and personality disorder research, and we talked about this before, is it's it's pretty fluffy. Yeah. It's really hard to pin down. I think different professionals would see it differently, even within our field. Right. We diagnose it differently, even when we have these standards. So yeah, there's a big variety of, how, <laughs> of, of fluctuation. They think it's, you know, 1.6 to 5.9% is huge. <laughs> That's a huge jump. But even if it's only at 1.6, that would mean that 4 million people in the United States have borderline personality disorder. Yeah. So about 10% of people in individuals in outpatient and 20% of individuals in inpatient may be struggling with the diagnosis. So just a reminder for people who don't know outpatient versus inpatient. Outpatient is when you see somebody for like routine psychotherapy just Mm -hmm. once a week or maybe once every other week or once a month. And inpatient is when you're on a clinical unit and you don't leave the floor. You're there all day and all night for right. a couple of weeks. You stay there for a while. Yeah. And individuals who struggle with this diagnosis often do struggle with suicidal ideations, 
with at least 75% of these individuals attempting suicide at least once in their lives and 10% eventually actually committing suicide. Wow, that's high. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really sad. Yeah, it is. It is really sad. I and again, I remain unconvinced that this is even a correct diagnosis for a lot of people i think right it's more trauma yeah yeah yeah, yeah. our whole our we're gonna cut to the chase our whole memo here is eh, it's probably ptsd but we can at least talk about it as right it it's a now. complex one for sure though like yeah. it's not just like it's not the standard when somebody thinks of ptsd like we've said before it's not like one thing this yeah. is a very complex yeah multitude of traumas yeah. that likely created this yeah it's not oh i got in a car accident and then i'm doing trauma treatment for this it's like this whole tapestry <laughs> yeah tapestry is a good way to put it <laughs> it's a tapestry yes so about 75 percent of people with borderline personality disorder diagnosed are women which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely one of those that I think I don't know if maybe people just don't see it in men as as well. Yeah. But it is it's overdiagnosed in women. Yeah. Like people just like jump and like, oh, I'm gonna give them this label. Yeah. I've I've definitely noticed in my personal practice when I see a woman coming to me who is diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, I will always repeat the diagnostic criteria i'll always do a new intake Clarify. a yeah. fresh intake because I, most of the time it's not no most no of the time it's not. half the time it's a mood disorder yeah and it's gotten labeled as this which is like yeah. what i think what happens is people um give this label to uh, patients that they find difficult and when they find a patient difficult usually a woman who's asking for something how dare she how dare she <laughs> oh some lady's asking for something and was crying borderline yeah so then you get that in your office and you're like i don't know that that's exactly what we've got going on here so i i think that's how that does happen and then also yeah there's not good awareness of how it shows up in men so there's right because it does present a, i feel like a little bit differently i feel like there needs yeah. to be other criteria that clarifies that yeah a little bit honestly yeah. that would be nice just because of how the ways that People are socialized by gender yes. uh, culture. Yeah. They, it changes it a bit how it, yeah. how it the flair. <laughs> <laughs> the flavor. <laughs> yes. So what do we think the causes are of borderline? So like with other mental health disorders, the cause of borderline personality disorder isn't fully understood. So in addition to environmental factors like child abuse and neglect, like we've said, it definitely definitely trauma is a huge link to this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Some studies have showed that genetics is also a big component and neurochemical brain differences are a big component. So there's been twin studies and family studies that show that the personality disorder may be inherited mm -hmm. or is at least strongly associated with, you know, the mental other mental disorders within family members. Uh, so there's a higher risk if you have a close relative maybe with this diagnosis. Yeah. And, and again, there's a neurochemical difference that they've also been able to see. Uh, within research that there are certain areas of the brain that involve emotion regulation, impulsivity, and aggression, in addition to certain brain chemicals that help regulate moods such as serotonin, may not just be functioning quite as properly, just like with mood disorders. Yeah. I, I kind of always thought of it as, you know, genetically, some folks are just set up to be a bit more sensitive to their surroundings and a bit more reactive mm -hmm. to their surroundings. And so, like, you may have that genetic profile and never develop it because your childhood is super chill. Uh, but if you do have that profile and then we overlay childhood maltreatment on top of it, okay, then that's when we start to see things that look like borderline personality disorder. Yeah. So the most common theme with people who develop this disorder is maltreatment during childhood. 
Big surprise, right? <laughs> yeah, big surprise. That tapestry yeah. that, that's laying over you is is the main yeah. cause. And maltreatment can include all sorts of things. It yeah. can include emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse. But also, I think we really don't talk a lot about neglect. Huh, we should probably do an episode on neglect. <laughs> it's it's now dawning upon me because the I would say that abuse in childhood is the foreground of a painting or a photograph. Mm-hmm. And the neglect is the background. And it doesn't mean that the neglect wasn't a big piece of the photograph or the painting. Right. So emotional neglect could be just literally not attending to emotional needs, could be physical neglect, not getting food, water, housing, mm-hmm. safety, all sorts of things. So neglect can also be a form of childhood maltreatment that causes this. Up to 70% of people who have this disorder have been abused or neglected in childhood. And there's all sorts of other things that can happen. Maternal separation, poor maternal attachment, inappropriate family boundaries, (laughs) parental substance use, and also just witnessing somebody in the household who has something really similar to this. If you're watching these patterns be modeled to you, then you're going to pick up these flavors. I mean, what else do you know? You don't see anything else. So, okay, that's what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. You we're we're little sponges when we're kids. And so that it affects us. What we experience affects us greatly. Yes. Yes. And I think you had something here about chronic invalidation. Can you say more about that? That's like kind of the key piece of uh, developing borderline personality disorder. To me, that's kind of like the neglectful piece that you were talking about. So when you come and you express that this is a concern or this is a need and that parent tells you that, no, that's not a concern. You're overreacting. They dismiss you on some level. And over time and having that continually happen with invalidation with your emotions, invalidation with your pain, invalidation with your suffering, invalidation with your needs or Mm -hmm. just general life struggle, school, whatever have you. Mm -hmm. You're not sad. Get over it. You're fine. This These sorts of messages are, right. you're overreacting. You're always so sensitive. Calm down. Like that sort of stuff, just constantly, chronically. That never happened. You know, the neighbor never really did that or said that to you. Whatever. Right. Calm down. These sorts of invalidating techniques over time can make you really question yourself and can leverage that genetic predisposition into some disordered characteristics later. Mm-hmm. I think about it, too, is usually it's just a highly sensitive person who's been traumatized in a lot of different fun and special ways. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not so much fun. (laughs) Fun, quote unquote. Like, it's just a lot of just different ways in which, like, traumas come together and then can produce this. Right. Yeah. Basically, if you can think of every way that somebody could experience some level of trauma or invalidation, they probably had the splattering. Like, take a freaking shotgun and they got the whole... They yeah. got the whole hit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't always have to be like trauma with a capital T. It can be like a traumatic stressor. You right. Know? Like it, Continuing over time. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. It's the chronicness. So what is borderline personality disorder and what do we observe about the diagnosis? So we're just going to talk a little bit about the criteria for it and then what we notice in our own office, what it looks like. So it is a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships self-image, and affects, which again is the way that emotions are presented, you know, within our face, and then marked impulsivity. And it needs to be indicated by at least five of the following things. So having an intense fear of abandonment. So going, even going from extreme measures to avoid real or imagined separation or rejection, a pattern of unstable or intense relationship, 
which is characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization or devaluing. So idealizing someone in the moment, like saying, thinking that they're like the best, they're the most wonderful thing, and then later believing that they're cruel or they don't care enough. Do you mind if I give some examples as you go through some of these? So the first one, just when you said the avoidance of real or imagined abandonment, intense fear of it and trying to avoid it, I would think of like something that I sometimes see in my office just in an interaction that I might have with a client is let's say I'm out sick for one day and then I get eight panicked calls Tuesday, (laughs) Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Not only are the calls kind of panicked, like, where are you? What happened? But they're kind of aggressive. Like, how dare you be out sick? Yeah. Um, Or if I were to cancel a coffee date with a friend, they might dead me and then call me a lot and then maybe say, like, I cut. I I was cutting when you were gone and then ghost me, right? Like it's <laughs> right. this very intense like reaction. It's not an it's not a typical level of disappointment of hey I'm just really frustrated. It's this really high level of I feel abandoned. I'm going to essentially going to lash out in some kind of way, whether mm-hmm. it's an anxious way, whether it's an aggressive way, but it certainly looks very intense and can feel very destabilizing to the person on the other end of it. Right. Yeah. The person on the other end is often very, you know, sideswept, like, what the heck just happened? Like, I don't understand. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. That often happens to me when I when I get caught in one of these situations. I It feels like blink. Blink. <laughs> I'm just kind of staring like, I was sick. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I'll give you a call back. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Right. Um, but it's it's very intense. And then the other thing you said was the pattern of unstable and intense relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So I just said like in clients or in friends, on the front end, I'm usually bombarded with like really – you're so amazing yeah. and I, you're such like the best friend I've ever had and uh-huh. yeah. I love you so much, you know, never, never leave me. <laughs> lots of, <laughs> yeah. lots of never leave me in there. Me. Yeah. And I'm joking, but it's, you know, it's, it, there's definitely an intensity to it. Yeah. And I don't really personally, no shade, whatever. Okay. Like that's somebody's thing that they're going through and they have a good reason for that. But on the other end of it, it can feel very intense. Um, And then if I make one wrong move, in this relationship, it will feel like on the other end that I'm being insulted or right. – and I'm just very confused at how I go from I'm so cool, I'm the bee's knees. I mean, I know I'm so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's like I'm the worst piece of shit in the world. Right. And it's – again, it's very intense. A lot of us do some of these things, but it's a quite a higher order. Right. Yeah. This yeah. This feels very – it feels very personal. Yeah. When it when it's like, but that wasn't personal. Yeah. 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 Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. It wasn't about it wasn't about you. So as the person who's receiving it, very much confusing. As the person who is doing giving it. it though, it really does feel life and death. Yeah. It feels like I'm being rejected. I will never I'm not I can't going trust to, you anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is all over. I've tried and just like everybody else, you're leaving me too. That sort of feeling. So it yeah. does feel really serious to them, to be fair. Yeah, definitely. Just kind of both ends. Anyway, what was the next one? The next one is identity disturbance. So that is a persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. So there could be rapid changes in the self-identity or self-image, that self-esteem. And that can include shifting goals and values or seeing themselves as just bad Mm -hmm. or as if they don't really even exist at all. Yeah. So I can, can, (laughs) in clients, this is really, really common. Yeah. Where... The client will have a very good week, 
but then there will be this one thing that happened like they had a weird Tiny interaction thing. with their boss and it was just like off a little not mm-hmm. not terrible but just off and that single thing can disrupt the entire week because of what happens when the person interacts with that moment so they will think they're a piece of crap they can't do anything right and then they'll react to it by doing some of those other coping skills i talked about earlier like calling over and over again or saying something aggressive etc so it's like these small things, these small triggers that feel small to people without borderline, yeah, feel very large to people with it, and then it just disrupts the entire Everything. system. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you know, some of us might be standing there like blink, blink. I like to say, you know, I'm dead inside, so I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wow. <laughs> um, but it does feel really big. Yeah, them. yeah, it does, and it's really to me, it's that lack of self identity and kind of that. Mm-hmm. The low self-esteem and just how one tiny pinprick can mm-hmm. just kill that whole voodoo doll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, very it, much. And I think it's very painful to experience life yes, that way. Yeah. The next one is impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging. So that could be spending sprees, gambling, unsafe sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating, or sabotaging success by suddenly quitting a job or ending a positive relationship. Oh my gosh. I have like my half of my caseload right now is doing this. I mean, the most common thing I can think of is I have a couple of people in really positive relationships, actually, and they will, when they feel threatened in the relationship, like they're going to be abandoned, they'll just break up with the person. Yeah. Just, we're broken up. And then two weeks later, they'll call them and be like, I am so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. That sucked. And I just was getting really reactive. Um, but it's just this impulsive ending and then getting back together. And then... Mm-hmm. Maybe in the interim, they might sleep with somebody else, which, hey, no shame in that game, but, like, it's not helpful for the relationship you're in. Right. At least. Like, yeah. it's, you know, it's not helping what it's you want. It's damaging what you truly mm-hmm. want. And yeah. then they might go on, like, a shopping spree. So that would be, like, a really common just, like, pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not if it, it – again, it's, like, not We're not judgment. judging. No. It's just not effective. And those are the words we use a lot in terms of treatment for this. It's not that – you're necessarily wrong for your feelings. And it's not that your feelings are inappropriate. It's And that, it's not that your feelings are invalid either. Yeah. It's just that it's not the way you're responding and reacting isn't effective. Yeah, it's just not going to get you anywhere. And so I think about it a lot like fair versus functional. It's like, are you right? Probably. Are your feelings accurate? Yeah. Like, do you have a good beat on the perspective? A lot of people with borderline are really, really intuitive. And so they are actually picking up on something Some real shit. that's yeah. happening. And the problem is, is just the reaction to it often hurts themselves way more than it hurts. You know, if it's intended to hurt somebody else, it just hurts themselves three Worse. times more. Yeah. yeah. And that's the problem. Mainly. Right. The next uh, diagnostic criteria would be recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures or threats or self-mutilating behavior. Um, again, this is often in response to fear of separation or rejection. Yeah. So n- this is not your average I'm suicidal, homicidal or you know, cutting. This is, I'm usually doing this to reestablish control over my body, thoughts, emotions, and environment. And again, it can be rightfully angry or in a way it makes a lot of sense, but it is more to prevent somebody from leaving sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't want you to leave. I'll kill myself if you leave. And even though that this is a criteria of the disorder, it also, I would say, is emotionally abusive. Yeah. Right. And so there are some things where it's like, Yes, we totally get that this is part of a mental health criteria, but it also doesn't mean that it's okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. This is like 
a lot of things in this disorder to me line up with, yes, you have this thing, but it's not. It doesn't excuse the behavior. Yeah, you you can't do this to a person. And do you maybe actually feel this way? Yeah, probably. But we right. need to like find some more helpful ways of getting you help rather right. than taking this out on somebody who is close to you because you're afraid they're going to leave. Right. Like you said, in the long run, you're you're hurting yourself. That person after so much emotional abuse within that perspective yeah. and then if you are actually literally hurting yourself or cutting yourself you're yeah. you're literally hurting yourself yeah. it's, it's and not they can't it's not take good her. no they can't stop that they can't yeah. fix that yeah and exactly. that's not a fair spot to put them in right so it's just really hard on for both ends of the thing yeah. and it's just yeah it is it yeah. is it's really hard for both ends i think too at least suicidal ideation i've noticed a big trigger for that in people with borderline is when they're re-exposed to invalidation, when they're re-exposed to chronic invalidation. And usually it gets a lot worse like if they themselves are in an emotionally abusive or emotionally mm. neglectful relationship. Yeah. And then sometimes when you remove people who look like they have BPD from an emotionally abusive relationship, suddenly everything resolves and you're like, okay, so it wasn't BPD. Like you actually <laughs> were responding appropriately to a really emotionally abusive relationship. So yeah. that's not what that is. That's just trauma. And so we talk about this a lot where we're like, well, is it really like a lot of times it's really not borderline. It's really just you're in a shitball relationship or you have trauma or whatever. Cause I see this all the time. Right. With, Which is why this diagnosis has to be something that's literally persistent over like years, years. and different relationships relationships yes. and different you know yes context yes. and jobs and all sorts of things yes. right anyway i interrupted no i like what we're continue. doing <laughs> the next one is wide mood swings lasting from a few hours to a few days which can include intense happiness irritability depression shame or anxiety mm-hmm. i think that one's pretty self-explanatory right and then chronic feelings of emptiness yeah is the next one and so again that kind of kind of resorts back to that self-esteem stuff there's literally like a feeling of emptiness which is also why they feel so urgently like they need somebody there to to kind of fill their cup because they don't they yeah. don't know how to fill their own cup yeah wow that was a really good way to put that i think too it's not we all feel empty from time to time we right. all feel the void <laughs> the, dark, <laughs> the darkness i mean i i look into the void pretty frequently i think like oh okay good that's there still nice uh, <laughs> just checking uh but it's like a persistent it's thing. chronic yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't ever feel like the cup is totally full no. it feels like a a vacuum like that is sucking up all things and yeah. you just can't quite or maybe fill. your cup is like a strainer so just every yeah. time you even try to fill it it's like yeah you just not. fill the void yeah and so you do anything you can to fill it but then it just keeps being right. problematic for which you. is also where that impulsivity comes in too because you're yeah. just trying to get some happy feelings yeah fuck yeah and you're just trying to fill the void and it's just not working the next criteria is inappropriate intense anger and difficulty controlling such so maybe frequently losing their temper, being sarcastic or bitter, or even having literal physical fights. Yeah. And as we talked about, this can cross the threshold into emotional or yep. physical abuse. And as we've talked about with other diagnoses, keep in mind that you only need five of these criteria. So it, people with borderline personality disorder can look very different from oh, one another. Oh, very different. So some may be engaging in emotionally abusive behaviors and some may not be. Right. Right. It's it's totally dependent on the person, but we're just kind of pointing out the ones that are more likely to dip into the darker realm that you have to be careful of. Right. 
And then the last one for criteria is periods of stress-related paranoia and loss of control with reality, so this dissociative symptoms, which can last a few minutes to a few hours. Yep. And that seems pretty self-explanatory to me, too. It's when people get really riled up. Usually Mm -hmm. this happens. Yeah. So these individuals are very, very, very sensitive to emotional and environmental circumstances and their perception of interpersonal situations. And as we pointed out earlier, they're really perceptive. Yeah. Honestly, I joke sometimes that some of my clients with borderline and trauma, too, are kind of like psychic a little. (laughs) I mean, they, they can read the smallest expression on my face with accuracy. Yeah. I mean, it's not... I would never gaslight them into saying that that was, I think that's critical as a treatment provider is just being really honest. If they pick up on something, don't, do not gaslight them. If right. It's, no, <laughs> no. They know that you're gas, and then you're dead. Yeah. Right. Then your therapeutic rapport is dead. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I think these people are often really perceptive. Sometimes um, maybe just a little on the paranoia end and listen as somebody who's on that end (laughs) what's up like no (laughs) that's not a judgment but yeah it can just be like just one step too far that makes it difficult for people with these conditions in the world right yeah Often at first, like we said before, they really do tend to idealize caregivers, friends, lovers. They want to spend a lot of time together. They want to share the most intimate details early in the relationships. But eventually something happens and then they they quickly switch to that devaluing them. And they feel like that other person is not caring enough or giving enough or is not there enough. They they Mm -hmm. feel that abandonment, even if that other person wasn't intentionally trying to abandon them yeah or didn't even really know what the standards were right at the time like a lot of times what i find is that people with bpd will not communicate a set of standards that they have yeah or a need that they have that's a big one is not communicating the need and then this other person is just bebopping around thinking they're doing great right they're doing something dumb yeah yeah (laughs) and then and then this person blows up and it's like there was this unspoken deep need. And if I don't get this need met, then I feel abandoned. And that's where the kind of chaos comes in. Right. Yeah. Which so, I mean, with this diagnosis, again, if if you are somebody who has this, the more aware you are and the more you're able to communicate those needs and the more you're able to communicate kind of where you are with things like, are you kind of in a spiral mode right now? Are you kind of in, yeah. you know, that awareness and that communication can really help save a lot of those really important relationships in your life. Yeah. In fact, one of the biggest treatments for borderline is to have an interpersonal skills training. Yes. And a huge piece of interpersonal skills training is identifying your own needs and then saying them assertively to other people. Yeah. Uh, really, <laughs> there's a... It's funny, the skill set that's involved, they really talk about communicating these in like the least dramatic fashion that you can, which is often really tough (laughs) because people are like, I feel like I'm dying. (laughs) And then we're like, okay, well, say some behaviors, you know, or say some specifics. What does dying feel like? I feel tired. I feel angry and I feel trapped. Okay, that's how we're going to communicate right. that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's better to conceptualize. Thank you. <laughs> if you if you want to get what you want out of somebody, we're going to have to do it that way instead of yelling I feel like I'm dying. Even though that might be true. <laughs> like yeah, and there are times where I want to yell that. Yeah. Right. Right. So they also people with these kind of conditions tend to be a little easily bored. They might be kind of like always seeking something to do, yeah. leading to some risky behaviors. 
And like we've said before, like everything, this this diagnosis falls on a spectrum. Like we said, you you only have to have five of those criteria. People with this di- diagnosis can represent very differently, both men and women. Yeah. And, you know, so some people really severely struggle with with these issues mm-hmm. and some are really more mild, like they might meet criteria. Yeah. But it's it's not. Yeah. They're they're kind of doing OK. They're they're yeah. they're learning and they're working on stuff. Yeah. And they just flare time to time. Sometimes yeah. the people with the people with more mild borderline personality often are pretty pleasant in therapy, motivated, goal directed, very perceptive, but just you know, get a little turnt from time to time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those kind of more mild Whatever that trigger the, is, it yeah. when it's when it's set, it's <laughs> Yeah, it's set. Yeah. But it, and then conversely I've had people with this condition who are deeply abusive, not motivated yeah. to change, and really very toxic. And so it just it spans the total gamut. Yeah. And uh <laughs> I I tend to see in my line of work, the more severe end of the spectrum. But we're therapists, right? There are people with this right. just out in the world living who are probably okay. So, yeah. like, we always see, you know, Michaela and I see the worst of the worst. So keep For that sure. in mind. Well, and we're therapists, but you also specialize with trauma, which then gives you an extra, yeah. extra dose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I think I, I never know what it is, but I usually do fairly okay with this sort of – yeah situation in therapy i think maybe it's because i'm dead inside and nothing really riles me up i'm like oh okay that's how we are today all right then well i didn't love that and i'm also like very very honest so i think that's like for whatever reason that soothes people yeah because i just i think that helps me too because i'm i'm so blunt and straightforward that it's like yeah Yeah. nope that's what's going on yeah (laughs) oh i didn't like that that was kind of mean could you say that differently and they're like oh like yeah i'm really honest yeah (laughs) so that usually helps I, i and i think you know as a therapist if you're on the other end of it this this can be a condition that's really i think Working with trauma, we could probably do an episode of this of like what it feels like as a therapist to work with trauma or borderline personality disorder. It's actually pretty challenging, honestly. It's it's very tiring. It's not because we don't like it, but a lot of times just one person with it. I mean, the key component of the diagnosis is that they're feeling their emotions super, super, super intensely. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard as a therapist to have, let's say, eight of those a day. I mean, that would be really, really, really challenging because you're trying to help somebody um, regulate and understand Uh and process and – yeah. They need a deep level of like they're yeah. experiencing those emotions so deeply. So yeah. you have to deep dive into that yeah. a little bit with them and yeah. help them process through that and then try to see, you know, above the water. Yeah. <laughs> and and the more severe end of the spectrum really does require some residential care a lot of times yeah. where it's like, you know, a couple times a week and phone check-ins and stuff like that. And if you're an under-resourced therapist like we all are right now, it's tough, you know. It's challenging because yeah. you're like, okay, well, th- I guess this is just me, <laughs> right? This is this is what I can provide, and mm-hmm. I think that's something as a therapist you need to check in with yourself with is like, this is what I have the capability for. So, like, I recognize that you you could use more, and if if I can refer you to somebody who could do more, then great. But this is what I can do. Yeah. So we won't lie. Personality disorders are difficult to treat at times um yeah because as michaela said the the characteristic that makes them a personality disorder is they are stable they are persistent and they do not vary from situations and so when you have something that 
oh, I'm going to use a $2 word here. I must be tired. <laughs> intractable. <laughs> when, when you have something that intractable, it's it can be challenging. So you're going to need some special skills. So what are the treatments that we have that are effective for borderline personality disorder? And keep in mind, everybody, by the way, these are also things that are often effective for chronic complex trauma. Yeah. So <laughs> if, if, if you were confused about what your diagnosis was, like if you were having borderline or complex trauma, these would work for both probably. So yeah. Hey. There you go. Yeah. Again, it, sometimes the diagnosis isn't quite as needed. Important. No. Yeah. So there are kind of three evidence-based therapies that have been really effective for treating patients with borderline personality disorder mentalizing based therapy i have never done that before i, I have I've never I, even, until i f- came across this i hadn't even heard of it to be i hadn't honest. even heard of it either that's funny that you said because when when you put this on here i was like i've never done that and i've never heard of that yeah so, i i hadn't either but i came across it and i was like okay i guess this is one of the more effective ones okay so apparently it's derived from both traditional psychoanalytic concepts and from attachment theory and social cognition research. Right. But we haven't done this. No. <laughs> so keep that in mind. But supposedly it helps patients manage their emotion regulation by feeling understood and it allows them to be more curious and make fewer assumptions about the intentions of people around them. Mm-hmm. So again, it really covers that how people manage their emotions and how they manage their kind of thoughts Mm -hmm. and how they can effectively respond to their experience of that and with others. And it tries to reinforce maintaining satisfying relationships and it aims to help them understand themselves, Mm -hmm. which again is kind of working with that stabilizing sense of self. Yeah. Which, I mean, sounds dope. I want to look more into this because I hadn't heard of it until I came across this no, no, me neither. I was like, wait, have I really been out of the game that long? I, I, I have not been out of graduate school that long. But right. Anyway, yeah, I I am interested in learning more about it. I probably won't in my future life treat a lot of this. So I'm not sure when I'll get the opportunity. But yeah. So the next one is called transference focused psychotherapy. And it focuses on using patient therapist relationship to develop the patient's awareness of problematic interpersonal dynamics. So you're essentially in the room correcting behavior by modeling it and just being really transparent, like having an agreement with the patient where you're saying, hey, okay, so when we have something that would happen in here that's interpersonally strange and might spiral, let's practice it, you and I as a unit, so that we can be really honest and blunt with one another. And then that way in the real world, you're not going to hit the same pitfalls. That one's often helpful, I think. Yeah. And I feel like in a lot of therapies, like you said, just you you kind of are doing that in general. Yes. With most therapies is you're, you're being present in the room and you're kind of calling them out on those dynamics in the moment to help them better understand and mm-hmm. learn that self-awareness. Yeah. And it's and it's you don't take a position of or at least we don't. I don't know who's doing this. <laughs> <laughs> me and so, my, me some of those narcissistic <laughs> therapists probably do. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. But for a good therapist, you don't take a stance of I'm all knowing. No. You take a stance much more of let's say Michaela was my patient and she told me that it was a betrayal that I was taking time off for a week. And I might say, okay, so tell me what makes you feel that way. And then I would share, well, you know, it's really important for my self-care to also take time off. And can we come up with something that together helps us feel, you know, supported? And then I might say, it actually does, you know, make me feel a little bit off-put that that's the way you phrase that because you felt like aggressive. And I wonder if 
it might come off that way to other people in your world. Right. And just it's it's like a very exploratory therapy. It's yeah. not you're, you're not shaming, you're mm-hmm. not saying any that what they're saying or doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. You're literally just like, so this is kind of how with what you said, this is how this affected me that mm-hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. And, and how can we let's explore this, this and build mm-hmm. the relationship and learn from it? Yeah. And you you stay calm. Like that's yeah. the key. Is you stay super calm, you're not reactive, you model you model what you expect to see out of the person. It's just a modeling-based therapy, essentially. But we're always doing this. We should always be doing this, really. Right. Yeah. So the last one is the big dog. Yeah. Dialectical behavioral therapy. So that's one we've definitely coin-dropped multiple times. Mm-hmm. It's It was literally created. For this. For this. Yeah. By Marsha Lennon, Lennonhan? Lennonhan, yeah. Lennonhan? Yeah. And she has kind of talked about, hey, you know, I have borderline personality disorder myself, which is why I created this. And so she's she's been really a proponent of this treatment and I think, you know, a recipient of some of it and has yeah. practiced it herself. So, hey, okay, I'm in. And it's definitely the gold standard. I think when most yeah. people come across this diagnosis, that's the treatment that they're looking for mm-hmm. because it's just... It, it combines mindfulness practices, it combines distress tolerance, so managing those really high emotions. And again, those it has those concrete interpersonal skills that you learn yeah. and general just emotion regulation skills too. Yeah. I would say that for me personally, I use DBT skills just like as a human on the earth all the time. Yeah. Like I'm just- I, Yeah, it doesn't really matter your diagnosis. I'm throwing some of these skills in there. I'm yeah. not going to lie because yeah. they the way that they- present these different skills almost every diagnosis can utilize at least some component of yeah one of them yeah Yeah, exactly so if if you're a therapist like you'd be on the other end of this and you would have a big fat manual in front of you yes and there's literally pages and pages and pages of worksheets for people to try yeah to see if this skill works for them and so that's what i think that's why it's so effective it's it's kind of a dealer's choice and you get to see what's helpful for you and it's very non-judgmental and so an ideal dbt program and a guy i don't know where these are anymore they're not in the midwest i was gonna say they're hard to come by <sighs> honestly because it, it requires so much support yes it requires so much staffing yes that it, a true program is difficult to legitimately come into. Yes. A, a true dialectical behavioral therapy should have one hour of individual treatment a week, one hour of group therapy, at least at the time we're doing this podcast. Maybe it changes. One hour of group therapy. Usually there's a 15-minute call, phone, touch base, and there is like contracts for like what we do when there are right. risks associated. And there's usually also a homework Um, associated with this. It might even be residential sometimes. So this is like hours and hours and hours a week because this is such a serious, I mean, and disruptive for the patient disorder that we really do need to pour a lot of effort. And it is evidence-based. I mean, this does work for people. Mm -hmm. It's just, you got to get, what is that called? Effective treatment dose? Effective dose? (laughs) You have to reach- Yeah, you have to reach the effective- yeah. dose of treatment or yeah. whatever yeah, yeah you yeah, have yeah. to get to the saying. proper amount of it in order for it to be successful now <laughs> i'm a one-man wrecking ball in my own neck of the woods right now where i just do a lot of these skills as right. much as i can because a lot of times as a therapist you'll be working in a community where 
this isn't available. Right. Like if you're in a rural community, th- it isn't. I'm no, sorry. No, you don't have a comprehensive team no. to consult with and work together on this. You don't have somebody who can provide the group and somebody different who can provide therapy yeah. and then calling in and then having a medication provider and then having, you know. Oh, you, yeah. That's the thing I forgot. You don't have all that going on. Usually there's a medication provider right. on staff too. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. And usually you have uh, interdisciplinary team meetings when you're on the other side of yes, it. Yes, where you're consulting each patient individually uh-huh. and working towards their goals and what's, yeah. what's where the pitfalls are happening and what needs to be done Mm -hmm. and a lot of times you have to come with a really united front as a grouping and and so help with triangulation stuff yeah yeah yeah, which is a whole nother thing but so what i'm just saying is that try to find this if you are struggling with these sorts of issues or even if some of these things sound familiar to you because literally i sunny use these skills myself oh, to operate yeah yeah like as a, i have I, used, yeah i have used some of these distress tolerance emotional regular, yeah and the interpersonal yeah i've learned some shit myself oh yeah for i sure do, i do like all these actually one day <laughs> I don't remember if I told you this. One of my coworkers, I was telling him what I was doing for a treatment plan for one of our mutual clients. And he says, oh, so you're doing DBT. And I was like, what? I'm just being myself. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea that was what I was doing until he pointed – because I wasn't formally trained. And then I kind of went back later. Yeah. And realized, oh, shit, this is what I've been doing for like five years (laughs) Right. It's just DBT skills. Um, I thought it was just fusing trauma therapy and CBT and blah, blah, blah. No, it's DBT. So (laughs) anyway, so we we use these things too. And even if you're not a person who meets full borderline personality disorder criteria, if you have complex trauma, it can be really useful. And if you can't find a full treatment program, it is okay that your therapist is just using some of the skills. Right. Because it's better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. It's better than nothing. And I think at least I know the American Psychological Association says like you can provide therapy in its less known, less effective form when there is nothing else available, essentially, because yeah. well, it's better than Again, nothing. to be fully even trained in this is really intense. I, I got yes. – I only got the skill training, which was three days of – training god yeah like yeah. that was literally only the skill training it's that beefy. wasn't the full thing yeah it's very beefy. <laughs> it's very beefy yeah i oh god even just the the little overviews are very intense so i've gotten the mindfulness piece real down um and then the skills training but i am not as good at the behavior chain stuff so anyway yeah what we're saying is that try to find a dbt program if you can yep so based on all that that was that was like heavy jargony, but I think I don't think this uh, information is really readily available. So sometimes next time our we're fucking talking about ghosts, so you guys <laughs> <Yeah>. can <laughs> we're gonna light after all these heavy hitters, we're gonna go pretty light on the next one. <laughs> yeah, like y'all can deal with it. <laughs> so, but based on all that, what are we gonna try to do for outside of? I'm curious what you identified because I couldn't think of shit honestly. Well, I kind of like gave it away in the beginning where I was. <laughs> I realized I wasn't motivated to change it because I know that my borderline tendency is I'll dead people really fast. Yeah. And I thought about, I'm just change. going, I, I thought about changing it. And then I realized I I don't want to change it. But what I could do is just monitor it and, and see when I'm most likely to dead people, a.k.a. cut them out of my life permanently for small mistakes. Fair. I'll let you know if it happens. How's that? And... I guess watch it and see if I could do something better, which I'm not yet motivated to do, but I can, <laughs> but I can explore it. That was fair it. enough. Fair enough. Gosh, I, I was really struggling to come up with an experiment for this, honestly. What, wait, what about like, 
noticing any relationships that have these flavors. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Well, like, because I know I have some in my world. And oh, yeah. Whether I want to like continue those or not might sure. be a, a thing. I don't know. Yeah. yeah sure. Okay. That sounds good. I'll right go on. with that. <laughs> you got a you got a joke for me this week? I've got a couple. Ooh. Okay. Did you know research shows that horses tend to have a much better mental health than other farm animals? But I, uh, uh, why? It's due to their stable environment. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) So dumb. I know. Okay. All right. I got one. You're so sweet. Someone says to me, thank you. I have abandonment issues. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hit me with what you got. Why is mental health like a rainbow? Um, I don't know. Because it's all over the spectrum. Oh, that's cute. I like that. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us for our episode today. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Yeah. See you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.